0: Welcome to Expositional Excerpts. I'm your host, Matthew Pilch. I pastor Grace Fellowship Baptist Church in Port St. Lucie, Florida. Let's dive into the Word. In our last episode, we began to look at verse one of Ephesians one, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And that's really where we left off. We didn't get to the rest of the verse. And we didn't even make it all the way through that. Uh, We have as an overarching uh, principle to govern this verse and all the way through verse 2 that believers ought to appreciate both the calling and the encouragement of God in their lives. We need to appreciate the calling and encouragement of God in our lives. And to do that, first of all, we have to properly understand that the calling of God is his will. After all, Paul says that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So what does God will when he is calling people? Well, first we saw that the calling of God is to individuals. When he places a call, it's not necessarily to a group or a nation or something like that. I, we could have a discussion on that on another day. But the fact of the matter is, is it's to individuals first. And here it's to Paul, but there is an application right? We all have a calling from God. Our calling doesn't look exactly like Paul's calling, and it may not look exactly like another person's calling, because it's specific. But then that brought us to a second point, that the calling of God may be to specific offices. And that's what we're looking at here. In the case of Paul, he was called to be an apostle. Now, there is a general sense of the apostle, which is a sent one, an ambassador, or an emissary, And in one sense, all who are believers are sent ones, but that's not a specific office, the office of the apostle. And you can go back and listen to that episode as we discuss what that specific office is, because that's mostly how the scripture uses that term, except on two other circumstances. But then there's a third and a fourth aspect that I want to talk about today as we consider the calling of God being his will, and that is this, that the calling of God is for his service. Okay, when God calls the believer, it is for his service. So Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and that's where we get this sense of service from, is that uh, this is really, the grammar points to all of this, is that he belongs to Jesus Christ. He is a sent one who is sent on behalf of and for the purpose of uh, proclaiming the gospel and the message that he was sent to deliver and that is the message of the gospel. It's interesting to note that the band of 12 was referred to as Christ's disciples prior to the resurrection and ascension, and then they are mentioned as apostles after Pentecost. That's a little distinction that's good to bring forward as we discuss the scripture. There's disciples before, uh, ones who are Uh, being instructed, who's sitting under the feet of the teacher, and then after the ascension, after the resurrection, after he appears to them, and then he goes into heaven, Acts chapter 1, and there's that ascension there, then they move forward about going about his great commission, and they are now officially uh, called apostles. So it denotes Uh, this specific office when it talks about the apostles here. And uh, we have Matthias replacing Judas Iscariot. And then finally, Paul is counted as one of the apostles as well, 1 Corinthians 15, 8. So the calling of God is for his service. And whether or not you or I are necessarily a part of that, which we can't be, we already discussed that no one alive today meets the qualifications for the office of apostle, But whatever God's calling is for our life, it is with that attachment that it is for his service. Whatever he has called the believer to, uh, and we get this also from Paul's letter to the Galatians, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? So whatever the calling is, it is for his service. And that brings us to one final observation with regard to the call of God being his will. The calling of God is deliberate. It's not accidental. So when God places his call on the life of the individual, it is not accidental. Many times the scriptures delineate for us what the will of God is. For instance, we are told in Romans 12, 18 that we are to live peaceably with all people. That is the will of God for all believers. We are told in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3-7 that we should abstain from sexual immorality. We are also told in Ephesians 4.29 that we should not speak corruptly. Galatians 5.16 that we should walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. James 1.27 that we stay unspotted from the world. Ephesians 5.25 husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5.22-24 wives should submit to their husbands as to the Lord. Colossians 3.20, children should obey their parents and please the Lord. Colossians 3.16, the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. James 1.22, we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. These are prescriptive things that are the will of God for believers, and it's deliberate So when God places his call upon our life, it is deliberate. He wants us to live a certain way. He wants us to do his will, and he wants us to do all that we do to the glory of God. After Paul saw Christ on the road to Damascus, God came to Ananias and told him to go to Paul and to minister to him. It was no accident that Paul was called to be an apostle. Note what God said to Ananias in Acts 9, 15 to 16. Here's what he says. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So we see that the calling of God on his life is very deliberate. All right. So the first thing that we see here is the calling of God is his will. But remember, our overarching proposition, if you will, is that believers ought to appreciate both the calling and the encouragement of God in their lives. And so that brings us then to the second main point as we look at the rest of verse 1 and verse 2, that the encouragement of the saints is necessary. Right here, there's so much rich theology uh, as we just get into the opening and introductory verses of Ephesians. The encouragement of the saints is necessary. Last part of verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Here's verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We probably won't have time to finish all of this today, but what we will do is Uh, Start to work through that. So if the encouragement of the saints is necessary, what do we observe under this? Well, the first thing is that in order to encourage the saints, one must be able to identify them. That's really the first thing that jumps out to me as we look at the text, to the saints. Well, now we're creating a category, right? It's not to everybody who lives in Ephesus. It's not to the Jews. it's, It's to a specific group of people. So in order to encourage the saints, one has to be able to identify what a saint is. Now this word saint, carries the idea of a holy one. It's, it's the same word that is translated at its root as holy. So don't get caught off guard with the deceptive teaching of some who say that the idea of sainthood involves a morally superior life and miracles. Uh, They have no concept of the nature of sin against an eternally holy God, right? Saints or holy ones are made this way because of the merit of Christ alone. You can't make yourself a saint. So Christ makes us holy, and then he calls us to a life of holiness. Uh, This is backed up for us in 1 Peter 1, 15 to 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also... Be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy for I am holy. So there's the idea of a saint. And then it's not just saints in general, it's specific saints who are in Ephesus. So this limits it to a geographic region. It's likely referring to several meeting places throughout the ancient maritime city of Ephesus on the western edge of modern day Turkey, situated on the Aegean Sea. It's not referring to all saints of all time. It's not referring to all saints at one time. It's referring to a group of saints at one time that is limited to a geographic region. And this tells us something. It tells us that different churches have different needs. There were other churches at the time of this writing, right? Paul knew of several other churches that he had planted on his second and third missionary journeys across Asia Minor and Macedonia. He even knew about the church at Rome. But the one at Ephesus has specific needs, and Paul was targeting them in this letter. This isn't to say that we should simply excuse ourselves from the discussion, but rather that we are to understand that not all churches have the same needs in a given moment. We are to be discerning and wise. There's something that we probably ought to point out in this discussion here, and that's this, that there is a movement today among broader evangelicalism, And I can't really speak to the state of evangelicalism outside of the United States. But it's a disturbing trend within mainstream evangelicalism here in the United States to disassociate oneself from the local church and just associate and uh, really kind of partner with in one's own mind uh, the church universal, as it were. And I hear this a lot from people. I'm not a part of a local church. I'm just part of Christ's church. Well, and that's a real misnomer here because if that were all the way we were supposed to think about things, then we really wouldn't have any of these letters in the New Testament that are written to specific churches. Now, I have had people come to me and say, well, hey, the church in the New Testament is different than the church that we see here uh, in the United States today. And I don't disagree with that. Uh, now, by and large, cities were smaller in the time of the New Testament than they are, you know, mega cities today. But I'm not disputing the fact that Ephesus was a larger church, and it's doubtful that the entire church assembled in one building and was hundreds, if not thousands of people. They didn't have those kind of churches. So it's possible that this one church met in several home settings. Uh, Those are minor details, but the fact is, is that people did belong to a church. And so we want to make sure that we don't get too far from that. And we find this not just in this epistle, but every epistle that's written to a specific church in the New Testament is going to carry this same idea, and so we really need to make sure that our thinking caps are on right when it comes to our ecclesiology or the doctrine of the church, because this very specifically is addressing a church. We have a lot that we can glean from it, but the fact of the matter is is it was written to a specific church. And that brings us then uh, to one last thing that I'll cover here under this idea of encouraging the saints, that we have to be able to identify them. We talked about what a saint is. We talked about a specific group in Ephesus. And then we talked about one final characteristic or requirement, uh, and that is consistency. We're talking about saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus, the text says. Now, this could be taken one of two ways. One, it could imply that there were some in Ephesus who were self-identified as believers but were not faithful. And really, the thing that we have to understand here is that the longer the church is around, the longer this is a reality. We're now some 2,000 years or nearly 2,000 years removed from the beginning of the church. And now we have people who identify as believers today who are not faithful, A, to the church, B, to the gospel, or switch them around, vice versa, right? Right. We have a lot of people who say, I'm a Christian, I don't belong to a church, I'm a Christian, I can sin. They go against uh, Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? So there's all kinds of problems. So that could be the case that there were people in Ephesus who identified that way uh, as believers but were not faithful, but it also could be the beginning of encouragement. We are to remember that when Paul writes to the pastor of the church, that's Timothy, in both first, uh, (laughs) excuse me, we are to remember that when Paul writes to the pastor of the church, that's Timothy, in both First and Second Timothy, he identifies a major problem that is prevalent there, and that's namely uh, the presence of false teachers. This is something that he admonishes the Ephesian elders about in Acts chapter twenty as well. When he says in Acts twenty verses twenty-nine and thirty, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So I think he's trying to encourage faithfulness in a city that has been in a church, excuse me, that has been plagued by false teaching already. And he's going to have to combat that now. He's going to have to combat that in the future and other correspondence as well. So it can be taken both ways. And it's an admonishment to us as we think about that. How faithful am I? How faithful are you to the local church? Because that is the body in which we operate. We don't operate as this tiny little grain of sand and the vast beaches of the church universal. We operate within our local church, and that's how God intended it to be. That's how you have under shepherds, pastors, and deacons who serve. They don't serve the church universal, they serve a local body. Under shepherds are not accountable if you take the language of Hebrews, right, I'm not accountable spiritually for those who are not in, in our congregation. I can't, I, can't, I can't account for what you're receiving at your church because you're not in our church and under the preaching. I have to give an account to God for my preaching and how I handle the Word of God. But we want to make sure that we are faithful in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is addressing them, I think both as a means of admonishment if they're not faithful, but also a means of encouragement to remember to be faithful. And that's encouraging to us. And so I think as we wrap up this discussion then, we have to remember that the encouragement of the saints is necessary. You need encouragement and so do I. But in order to encourage the saints, we have to first be able to identify them. When we pick up with the next episode, we'll talk about not just identifying them, but we'll go to uh, some core foundational truths that do help to encourage the saints. And that will close out our episode today. This has been another podcast of Expositional Excerpts with Pastor Matthew Pilch. If you'd like more information, please visit our church website, at gfbc.net